Good morning. Wow, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to believe we're already at the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, Christmas is in three days, am I right? Okay, good. Pray for me tomorrow, I'm shopping. <laughs> Truly, no, this is no joke. I'm starting early this year, and, t- and tomorrow morning is, is the day. It is the day, I'm so excited. However, I did use Amazon once this year. It was like so cool, man. Just came in the mail this week. It was so cool. At first, I thought I had to travel to the Amazon store somewhere. No, no, I I didn't think that. Um, It's good. How many of you done your shopping online? Raise your hand. How many done your shopping by store the hard way? Okay, how many have not started your shopping yet? I love you. I love you. I love you, people. So it's awesome. It's great to, good to be together. Um, some of you may have noticed that Tom, Pastor Tom, has not been here for a few weeks because his, uh, his father-in-law uh, died suddenly just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, many, many of you knew it, but uh, he'll be back and be bringing the message next week. One service next week is going to be an awesome time. Christmas Eve is coming up tomorrow and the next day, and so it's going to be good gathering together. And uh, just celebrating, uh, again, the birth of Jesus. I've done, I've celebrated Jesus' birth for a long time. And um, I, you know, I've seen different stages of my life. You know, there was when it was all about, you know, Santa Claus or, well, you know, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a, a running narrative along with the Jesus narrative, you know. And um, somehow in my mind, I kind of knew that, <clears throat> that the Jesus narrative was the story that was important but I was most excited about the Santa Claus narrative. You know what I'm saying? Now, what you hope is that as you, as you get older, you kind of hope that the Jesus narrative, I mean, even as a child, you hope it starts really taking on, so you go, no, this is real, this is for real. And that, um, and that as, you, as you emerge into your uh, teens and 20s and 30s and 40s and on, that this Jesus narrative becomes like, an all-consuming reality for you as a follower of Jesus, right? The problem is in our culture is that there's not a lot that really lends to that. So if, you don't, if you're not involved in practices, which I will call liturgies, if you're not involved in liturgies that reinforce your love for God, then you're going to be involved in liturgies that reinforce your love for anything other than God. Do you understand what I mean? So we're just saturated all throughout this season. Well, it's not even the season. Our entire culture is saturated with other gods and with other, you know, with other news, right? And so I kind of stated at the beginning of this uh, in the U version, I and talking about what we're we're looking at today is that in these days of fake news and pretend deliverers, in the crisis of our present circumstances. There is a voice, a word, a truth that claims to be the voice. I know it should be the voice, but I'm kind of emphasizing it, right? To be the voice, the word, and the truth, right? Coming to restore and heal us. Your life, your family, your world brings, uh, or excuse me, longs for this Jesus full of grace and truth. Now, to me, this is a mystery. This is a mystery. Uh, It turns out that uh, the... uh, Santa Claus mystery ends up being different than you thought. 
much smaller than you thought. Hopefully, the Jesus mystery turns out to be much greater than you had imagined, right? Uh, I told this years ago at a Christmas Eve service, but when I was, uh, uh, I was a young boy being raised on a farm, and uh, to me, uh, as a little boy on the farm, uh, the, gr- the, the barn was huge, uh, the chicken coop was huge, uh, the, the whole land was amazing, and it was just overwhelmed me with how grand it was. When I visited the farm as a grown man with a young family, I couldn't believe how small the barn was, how small the house was, how small the land was, right? So as I grew older, what I thought was so grand as a child really was small. But what I've discovered about the story of Christ and the Christmas story and the whole story of his life is that as I have gotten older, I come to realize what I thought was small is actually grander than I even imagined. And so what I hope for you today is that you will, you will understand this, that you, you, you'll go, whoa, I did not realize that it was so grand, so amazing. So we've been dealing with mysteries. This whole matter of mystery is kind of meant to leave us in awe, right? Mysteries, we've given this uh, definition, uh, dictionary definition, right? Something that is difficult to, or impossible to understand or explain. I think there are dimensions of this mystery that are just simply, oh, they're just, it, it requires faith, right? It requires like, okay, I choose to believe that, not because I can explain it fully, right? This mystery of Christ, of this birth, and of what it means to go from cradle to cross and resurrection and on. Uh, it's just like, it's mystery. There's mystery. And I hope you have a sense of mystery because if you have mystery, you'll tend to have a sense of awe. There's, it's very difficult to have awe if you have no mystery. It's difficult to go, like, to be, like, ooh, ca- captivated in worship of him if there is no mystery to it that just simply captivates your heart. So I, I hope as we unpack some of this mystery that you'll, you'll find yourself kind of moving into the worship of God more fully, into the love of God. In fact, I laid out for you a few weeks ago at the beginning of the series, Mysteries That Matter, all centered around the amazing news about Christ coming to us as God giving his one and only son. That's a mystery, right? I started out with these uh, these purposes, right? I, I hope that by the time we got through this, you would you would love and worship God more fully, which is the first one, right? That, that you would be drawn into the beauty of the grace of God resulting in worship and in love toward him. So if this Christmas season is only, only ends in uh, you being ex- exhausted and anxious and fearful and, uh, whew, I'm glad that's over. Well, there may be dimensions of it that are like that for you, but it is really important that as we come through this that the reason we spend time here is so that we can emerge from this time more in love with God than ever before, right? That we would be choosing to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because of his revealed worthiness, right? He is, he's revealed as worthy of this. And then the second thing is, is, that, is that we will, be, uh, we will have opportunities for a personal transaction between God and us, that this relationship with God of love and worship is to result in some 
uh, very significant transactions. Like, uh, like we're, we're doing transactions all the time during the shopping season. We go in, we, we pay money, and we receive goods. Uh, you know, there's something exchanged. Uh, but God is, has offered us an exchange that is simply stunning. He says, I will give you the, the wholeness of my son's life for the brokenness of your life. I will, I will exchange this with you. I will, t- I will give you my son who knows no sin so he can live in you and empower you to live a holy life in exchange for all of your sins being placed fully upon the shoulders of my son so that he can take your sins away. Called forgiveness, right? That's a transaction. And then there's a lot of other transactions that happens in this relationship. We trade out our anxiety, anxiety for his peace. We trade out, uh, trade out our anger and unforgiveness for his forgiveness and mercy. We trade out our indifference for his compassion, and it just is. We trade, you know, we trade out our cynicism for his, for his uh, hope. And it's just amazing what can happen in these transactions. When transactions happen, so you got it like a relationship, transactions take place in that relationship that are life-giving, and as a result, you end up with the third purpose, which is to have a new narrative. You have a new story going on in your life. So the, the whole point is, is that what he offers to us becomes our, our, uh, our experience, and in experiencing him, we actually can begin to have a new narrative, a new, a new storyline, right? When my father was uh, in the Navy, and, uh, and, uh, and after the war, he was like so lost, and everybody knew him as extraordinarily lost with alcohol and women in his life. And uh, years later, when, they, uh, when he reconnected with these guys that he'd been on, uh, on, on the ship with during World War II, and they asked, what have you been doing? And he says, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I've been a pastor that piqued some interest because the narrative had changed, right? The nar- it had changed. The narrative had completely changed because of what Jesus Christ has done. So when there's worship for him and love for him resulting in transactions that take place, then our narrative begins to change dramatically. I like what C.S. Lewis said. I just read this this past week. I thought it was just beautiful. He said, I believe in the Christian gospel as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, I believe in this gospel, this Christian gospel, like I believe in the sun. Not simply because I see the sun, but because by the sun's light I see everything else. And to me, like, it's just a beautiful thing that God does. One of the transactions he does that changes the narrative is that we were once blind, now we see, Right? We were once blind, now we see. We were once faith, unfaithful and faithless, now we're faithful and faith-filled. We, we began, you know, just, it just changes the whole story. And then, uh, the, then, then I just really, this really practical thing I'd hope we would accomplish is that to help us be really happy and truly joyful about Christmas and the new year of God's saving grace. The new year of God's saving grace. So I don't, I don't know if you have picked this up yet, but... 
But Advent in the Christian calendar, the church calendar, which begins began for us this year on December the 1st, Advent is the beginning of the Christian year. So January the 1st is not the beginning, but Advent is the beginning. So we're saying by that that the beginning is kind of like what's called the sanctification of time, right? We learn how to view time in a way that reminds us of what God has done within our lives. And so with Advent leading up to Christmas, we are setting our course for the whole coming year. We don't wait till January 1 to begin to set our course. We begin to set our course now during Advent because everything begins new at the coming of Jesus. And the reminder that he has come to us and he has brought us amazing, incredible, mind-blowing life, right? And so here we are. And I hope that, man, you can just like enter into this new year with a, with a sense of, we have been visited by God in Jesus Christ and our hearts have been captured by the power of a great affection, our great affection for him. So today we're going to be talking about in one of these mysteries, the mystery of grace and truth. Rather than the, rather than the, the obvious experience of disgrace and a world of of. of ungraciousness certainly around us and begin now to experience the truth instead uh, and experience God's grace so two passages we're going to look at one out of John's gospel and one out of the gospel of Isaiah uh, in the Jewish scriptures the gospel of Isaiah uh, chapter 40 45 so as we've done all the way through we've kind of chosen this this large prophetic book in the in the Old Testament um Isaiah, 66 chapters, it's a big book, but it's filled with good news. It's kind of been called the gospel of the Old Testament, right? And, and now and also the gospel of John, we've been looking at quite a lot, actually much these same verses. I, I want to give you, first of all, what's going to be the kind of the unifying theme in, in all this, and that is, is going to be the, about the word. It's, it's all about the word. It's, it's about God speaking to us, it's about what his word is, and it's about us, like, believing this word. Like, some of the most critical questions that God will ever be asking us, it seems to me, do you, do you believe me? Not just do you believe in me, which that's a big thing, not, not what do you believe about me, but do you, do you believe me? Do, you, do, do we believe what the scriptures say comes from God to us, do we, do we believe it? Will we like rest our lives on it, stake our lives on it, right? Will we, will we say, I'm going to believe this word, even though there are a thousand other words out here, right? I'm going to believe this word. And we live in a day in which, uh, you, know, you know, words matter so much, but we live in a, a day, a culture that... S- while we are constantly experiencing the power of words to destroy, we often do not understand, like, really the importance of the words. So all over social media, and people are free to post whatever they want and hurt whomever they want, and tweets go out instilling fear all the time. And here is God who points us to a word that is full of grace and truth. And man, it is a word that we need today. Amen? 
a word that we need today. So you'll find about the word in John chapter 1. We'll just start there. Let me just paraphrase some of the first verses of chapter 1. It's all about the word, which is referring to Christ, God's chosen verbal, visual expression of who he is. He's spoken through prophets in the past, and there have been a lot of words given that have meaning and are being fulfilled, but now all of those are being fulfilled in this one word. He has now spoken to us with somebody. A son, Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, right? And so it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created by Him and for Him. So that's kind of what that first part is. And then it says that this Word full of life, full of truth, comes to us and is made flesh. And the Word was made flesh. Now there's a mystery right there, right? The preexistent Christ, the Son of God, now made flesh. We've, we've talked about how in the world has that happened. And we've read the story of Mary. And we've read about Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and all of that. This amazing miracle. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, this spoken word, this true word, a word full of grace and truth. It says in the voice translation, it says, the voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us, and we have seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor, the one true Son of the Father, evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. Or I like the message translation that says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes. A one of a kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. And through this one, we have all received, verse 16 says, Gifts of grace beyond our imagination. We have all lived off of his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. This one who has this word that has explained God to us. This is a powerful word, isn't it? If I could speak to you a word that would explain God to you. If I could bring you a word that was full of grace and truth. If I could bring you a word that if you, if you participated in it and, and received from its fullness, you would, you, would, you would be experiencing one grace upon another, one gift after another beyond your imagination. That, those are some pretty boastful claims about this word, right? And we learn that that is exactly what we have when God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. It's, it's all about the word. It's all about the word he speaks in Jesus and what we do in receiving that word. So as we talk about this, then let's go to another passage of Scripture, which is, which is so important in regard to this. So as I was looking through uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, I just came across these, these important statements, uh, this, this self-identifying uh, reliability of God in chapter 45, in verse 18 and following. We're just kind of walk through. We're just going to walk through some of this. I think what I'll do, I'll just read the whole, whole thing to you to begin with, and then we'll, we'll kind of parse it out a bit. So anyway, uh, before, we, before verse 18, it says, but Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. So already we're being, we're being thrust into a saving word, right? 
Um, and I hope to broaden out that word uh, salvation for you even as we move through this. So then verse 18 says, For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, so right, who is speaking to us? And what, you know, you know, what, why does this matter, right? He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come, assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about the idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn and my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow and by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have incensed themselves against me or raged against me will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exult gladly. The word of the Lord. Amen. Now let's just look at that. It's a a powerful word. So who is speaking, right? So it just matters who's speaking. Like, you know, when you receive information, don't you want to know, like, well, who said so, right? Well, who said this? Now, see, the problem in our day is that we just believe, we believe anything that aligns with us. and We pretty much will believe anything that will, you know, kind of come our way, uh, that, that sort of like rouses our fears or our angers rather than checking it out. Like, well, who said this? Like, of what character is this person? Right? And so this is what is, this is why it matters who is speaking. Who is speaking to us, right? So it says in verse 18, for this is what the Lord says. Who created the heavens, he is God who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So who is speaking? Well, in this whole story of salvation, in this whole story regarding a worldwide salvation, you know, where all the nations are invited in, where every people group, tongue, tribe, language, all across, you know, every color, every, every, every person in the whole earth has been invited into the salvation. Who is it that is speaking? It is the one who created it all, right? There are four words used. And I, I just think I, I, Isaiah, he just like, he just nails it here, right? When he's kind of given the credentials of the one who speaks. He says, he who created the heavens, he is God. So he's the one that initiated it all. Look at the heavens. 
Look at the heavens, look at the earth, look at the expanse of the, of, of, of the macro, you know, universe. Look at all of that. And what you'll discover is that, that it, as huge as it is, he's the one who initiated it all. I, the Lord, initiated it. I created it. He's, the, he's, at, the, he's at the whole beginning point of it all. And, and by the way, you know that we're still trying to figure out um, through our scientific method and through all of the research we're still trying to figure out how big this thing is i mean this world is like this universe is huge it's so interesting because over the last like 40 or 50 years uh, even before and even recently i just read a report where they said it said scientists now believe that the universe is bigger than what they thought and and that was that was like that was okay for them to say because they were they're just saying we're just seeing more. We're just seeing more. We're just seeing more. And I just really thank God for science because science is revealing so much about the magnitude of this amazing universe in which we live. And the scriptures say it was all initiated by him. Now, this is how big your God is, right? And we, when you look at the, 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 the world of the big or the world of the small, when you get into the micro, when you get into you know, microbiology and move down into the world of the small and you see how intricate everything is, you just have to go, whoa, this world is smaller than we ever imagined, right? So intricate, so woven together. The timing is just like amazing and perfect. So it says here, he who created, God created, and then he says, he who fashioned and made, two words used. Fashioned means he molded it as a potter, and he made it, meaning that he worked until it was all done, and then it says that he founded it, meaning that he established it and imparted to it a stability. So there is imparted a stability to all of this amazing creation of God. And then finally it says here, he did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So he formed it not to be empty, but to be inhabited. In other words, he created it for us to be inhabited by us. And he intended it to be inhabited by people who were in a full-on, full-blown relationship of love with himself. That we love him. He formed it for an for inhabitants from all the ends of the earth who would love him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how he created it to be. So immediately we start saying, well, hmm, how are we going to be restored into this, right? He is the Lord who has spoken. He says, I have spoken not in secret, from somewhere in a land of darkness. And I have not said, seek me in vain. No, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. I, I like so much kind of what he's saying here. I'm not, I'm not secretive. I'm not speaking somewhere where it's in the land of darkness where it, it's easy to miss. Or, or I'm not speaking a word that is intrinsically puzzling or misleading. If you pay attention to my word, you, you will not end up in a maze of meaninglessness. Instead, I am the Lord that speaks the truth, and I declare what is right. I like how the message puts it. I am God. I work out in the open, saying what's right and setting things right. So this is, this is our Lord. This is, this is who is actually speaking to us. 
And he's saying to us then, in the midst of this, the one speaking to us, what does he say to us then? What is he saying to us? He is saying, gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Right? You're fugitive from, you fugitives from those, those of you who are escaping from a way of life that is centered around the idols of wood and these gods who cannot save. All right, here's what you need to know. Here's, here's the imposter piece, right? There are gods that cannot save you. There are gods who cannot save you. And, and I think you kind of know that, right? However, I want to remind you that we are saturated with God's occult. We are, we're enculturated with all kinds of gods, all kinds of promises, all kinds of idols in our, in our culture right now, all right, who promise us but never deliver. In the old days, it was about wooden idols. It was about, you know, carving an idol and worshiping an idol in your house or getting a, an idol uh, from, from the nations around you and, and worshiping them, right? Um, that was Israel's problem. Israel had a problem with idolatry. That's why God in the Ten Commandments said, you shall have no graven images. You shall have no other God before you except for me. And don't make graven images of these gods, right? Because they will lead you astray. I mean, you'll just be lost. You'll be separated from me when you give your affection to another. So I, the Lord, I mean, I've saved you. I've called you. You belong to me. I've made a covenant with you. Come on, I want to give you a life. I want to give you a future. I'm working. I'm, I'm working with you. I'm working through you. Stay with me. I'm going to give you a land, you know, that's going to be yours. I mean, you're going to worship me. You're going to flourish. The nations will actually come to you for wisdom. And man, God offered them so much, and yet they just had this, this propensity for wandering away and serving the idols around them. Oh, my goodness, it's just filled with this all throughout, all throughout the old uh, scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. When you, when you understand some of that history, then you also know that when Isaiah was writing, 500 years before Christ, hang with me for a little history here, 500 years before Jesus, when Isaiah was writing these words, they were people who had been like, they, there was so much brokenness. I mean, the discipline of God that had come upon them because they were wayward in their hearts. They kept going after idols. And because of that, they were, God allowed them to actually be taken away from their land. The temple was destroyed. Right, the land was taken from them. All the, the inhab- most all the inhabitants, the the brightest and the best of Israel and all, and many others had been exiled to the nations around them. They were absolutely displaced, a displaced people. And if you follow what historians say, and also what the scriptures reveal, and that is that from that moment on, Israel was broken of their idolatry of. You know, their idolatry of wooden images or metal graven images. They were just broken of that. However, idolatry continues. Did you know that? Right? And we, f- we face it all the time in our culture. Right? Like, let me, let me just give you an example of some of the idols that we face. Right? They, some of the idolatries. Our idolatries are centered so much around lust. The lust for more. The lust for things. The lust for, uh, you know, possessions. The lust for position. Uh, the lust for power. The lust for sex. 
We just have, we're just saturated in that. All, and, and you just see that. You can just see that, that, that mood being set throughout the whole advertising world, through, throughout the, the, just every, every, we're just saturated in this all the time. All the time. In, in fact, John put it this way in his, in his letter in 1 John. He says this, chapter, chapter 2, verse 15. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. The love of the world squeezes out the love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on its way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for life and eternity. Amen? So this is like, so here we're called, God, God says in, in Isaiah's scripture, God is saying this, you know, flee, be a fugitive from whatever nation you're living in, whatever the gods of those nations, be a fugitive from those nations, from those gods, be a fugitive and come to me because I am this world's one true saving God. Apart from me, there is no God and there's no righteous God a savior, there is none but me, he says in verse 21. There's nobody but me. Nobody but me. So, so what? Turn to me and be saved. Turn to me and be saved. Uh, just by the way, the gods, look, I know, I know, it's, it's almost hard for us to see it. The gods, if we follow the gods of our culture, you'll be able to tell. Because you'll be more anxious than ever. You'll be increasingly fearful. There will be restlessness in your soul. You'll live with a a high degree of frustration. You become more and more critical and cynical. There's an unsettledness about you. You become more and more self-absorbed. These, these are the, these are all, this is all the fruit of these gods that cannot save. The best these other gods and idols of our culture can do is make us become more enmeshed in who we are without God. And Jesus has come with a better word, right? Jesus has come with a, another, uh, another option that says, turn to me and be saved. So just come to me, turn to me. All you ends of the earth, it's for everybody. For I am God and there's no other. Turn to me and be saved. In other words, if you turn to me, the sure outcome of turning to this God is that you will be saved. Now please, I want to rescue the word saved again from just meaning that you have your ticket to heaven and you know, I'm saved, I'm good. You know, it's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. It means that you are truly a forgiven person. His saving grace is a forgiving grace, truly forgiven. I just love to look at people who have confessed their sins, specific sin, and I just love to look them in the eye and say, based on your confession of sin and the work of Jesus Christ in your life, I tell you right now that you are a fully forgiven person. Boy, those are beautiful words to hear, aren't they? Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror in the morning and I say, David, (laughs) I don't call myself Pastor Dave. I say, David, 
you are a fully forgiven person today based upon the work of Jesus Christ for you. Amen? This is God's word. This is God's word. I look at myself and I need to say, and because of God's grace to your life, Jesus is enough even when you're weak. You know what that does for me? That means I don't have to live simply overwhelmed and discouraged about my weakness. Instead, I'm going to say, my weakness is a perfect playground for the Holy Spirit to display his grace and his strength. Have you ever looked at your weakness as a playground for the Holy Spirit to work his strength? So I can just say that to God, right? So his salvation is so big. His salvation, as we've learned from the word sozo, his salvation is deliverance. His salvation is, you know, like deliverance from the chains that bind us. His salvation is a restoration. His salvation is a healing and a wholeness that comes to my life. In fact, it says, it says, turn your face to me and be saved. Turn your face to me. This is really important, folks. Turn to me is really in the Hebrew scriptures a word that means turn your face toward him. Look at him. Gaze at him. Remember, remember at the at the very one at the very end of this one verse it says, I'll find it, and we held our gaze on his glory, full of grace and truth. So you put your gaze on his glory, full of grace and truth. Turn to me and be saved. And the word for saved is the word, in, in the Hebrew language, is the word Yeshua, right? Is, uh, Joshua, or Jesus. His Hebrew name is Yeshua, right? So turn to me and be yeshua right? Turn to me and be saved. If you're saying right now, okay, been there, done that, you're missing the point. His is a saving grace that keeps on saving. Amen? There will be things that try to draw you back into bondage. There will be things that happen in your life that'll bring, that will just hammer discouragement into you, that will try to get you off course. There will be things that, that will become broken into your Somebody will break your life because they will disappoint you. They will betray your love. These things will happen to us, but guess what? If we keep our face gazing at him, if we turn our face toward him, we will be experiencing Yeshua will be experiencing the saving of Jesus. Amen? In our lives. We'll be encouraged. We'll find ways to be encouraged. We'll find ways for wholeness to keep coming into our lives, even though brokenness seems always to be coming as well. Uh, my my, uh, my son-in-law, he's 40 years old, and, and he's been like chronically ill for um, nine years. Just like intense abdominal pain, um, lot of the time just completely blown away by it and in the midst of all of that he's just been experiencing more and more of God's saving activity and I'm so glad that God continues to save even when we don't see resolution to some of the things we want freedom from right but God is still there as a saving God and and before I read this this little uh, incident to you from his from his life recently I, I was reminded about Isaiah 50 35.3 says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not be afraid, your God will come and he will come to save you. Right? So God is still saving us. So here, here's what happened on December the 3rd this year. 
He said, a woman dropped by the church today and asked to see the pastor. We were setting up for Christmas. And uh, as soon as she saw me, she knew I was the pastor. Her face lit up and she said, your eyes, you have the eyes of Jesus. I see him. Look at your eyes. Don't ever, she said to him, not even knowing him. She says, don't, don't ever, don't ever get down there, pointing to the dirt. Don't ever get in the mud, she said. If you feel attacked, if you feel discouraged, don't just simply fight, fight back. Just say, in the name of Jesus, reaching her hand forward as if to bless. She asked me what my name was, and I said, James. She teared up, and she said, that's the name of my son, James. He's lost. Your name is Santiago, not Jamie or Jimmy. It's Santiago, the brother of Jesus, Jesus' little brother. Don't forget that. She explained that she was living out of her car with another son, and she had a daughter. She had had another son earlier. She was just experiencing some sickness with her, with her kids, and she needed some NyQuil. She wanted gas and a little money to buy medicine. I gave her a gas card and a Vons gift card. Both weren't worth very much, but she was immediately grateful. Most people I help immediately want more or complain about the amount or, or how it was too little or something like that. But she was very grateful. So I put my hand on her shoulders and I began to pray for her. But she also started praying out loud. And soon I knew I just needed to stop. And she kept praying. She blessed me and I could feel her prayers working in a way I usually don't. And as soon as she left... I knew that she was an angel. The reason I read that to you is because the saving of God. It just, there's, there's more saving God wants to do in your life than you can even imagine. What you've experienced in his saving grace is not all there is. This God who saved, he saves to, he saves as, as one old uh, translation says he saves to the uttermost. He saves completely. Like he, he brings this, this saving God brings encouragement and, and hope and, and, and healing for broken hearts and strength to, to, you know, feeble hands and weak knees when we are so overcome with our own weakness. And yet the question remains for us in this mystery of grace and truth this one giant decision comes to us, and it is this. Will we believe? Will we, we believe what he says? Will we embrace what he says? Will, will we be like Simeon, the old man from last week's message who took the child Jesus in his arms, and he, and he blessed the child, and he says, Oh, God, you can let me die now, because with my own eyes I've seen the salvation. And Simeon did a beautiful uh, pain in, 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 that, in that moment is that as he received, as he received the child Jesus. Do you know what it says in John chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12? It says, you know, Jesus came to that which was his own. He made it. And to the people that were, were his own, but they didn't recognize him, but to all who received him, to all who believed on his name, he gave us the right now to be called sons and daughters of God, born not of just human will, but born again by the will of God. See, what do you do with this gift? 
How do, how do we allow ourselves to be, be shaped in his likeness? Do, will, we, will we give faith to him? Will, will, will we receive this gift? Will we believe what God has done for us in Christ? I love what is stated about the faith here. Faith doesn't tell us how little we are and what we can't do. On the contrary, it celebrates what we most properly are, God's empowered creatures, and it frees us to our greatest accomplishments. Faith is an expression of the fact that we exist so that the infinite God can dwell in us and work through us for the well-being of the whole creation. If faith denies anything, it denies that we are tiny, self-obsessed specks of matter who are reaching for the stars but remain hopelessly nailed to the earth, stuck in our own self-absorption. I love that. Faith is saying, no, you were created by an amazing saving God who has more saving to do in your life, more wholeness to give to you, and to bring you into that place where you truly are, his celebrated humanity humans created by him for relationship with him who are expressing his glory and his praise on the earth giving hope the hope of grace and truth to a world that is lost with fake news and pretend deliverers so here's the question right will you receive him Please, don't say you've already done that. Just say, I will do that. (laughs) Right? I will do that. And believe him. And believe him, what he has done, and who he is for you. For us, and for our world. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for being so like truly both at the same time, spectacular and humble. Thank you for this mystery of grace and truth coming to us in this particular baby born in Bethlehem as Savior of the world. Help us to believe what is said of you. And help us write with you a new narrative of our lives in this fearful and cynical, this worried, and this broken world. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.